0: Welcome to the Perennial Podcast, where we reflect on wisdom from modern life, from ancient philosophy, and spiritual traditions. Each episode is based on timeless principles and practices designed to help you live your highest good. To learn more, visit perennialleader.com. Welcome back to the Perennial Podcast. Today I'm sharing a conversation with my friend Kai Whiting. A familiar voice to some, he came on In Search of Wisdom, episode number 33. Kai is the co-author of the great book, Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living In. In the conversation, we primarily discuss the question, how do we know virtue is the only good? You can learn more about Kai and his work at StoicKai.com. Now, without further ado... Please welcome the wise and gracious Kai Whiting. Kai, welcome back to the show, man. I'm uh, happy to connect with you.
1: And thank you to your audience for, for being kind enough to invite me back as well, because if you disliked the last interview, I wouldn't be back here. So thank you so <laughs> much, Joshua, for that.
0: Oh, great. Well, thank you. And there's a question that you posed in a previous episode on the walled garden that I would love to, to kick it off with, and that is, how do we know virtue is the only good? And I guess maybe a part two to that is, a, is why is that something important to, to contemplate and kick around as a, as a question?
1: That's a really good question. So when Lee and I just constanded across and I wrote Being Better, Storism for a World Worth Living in, it was to highlight this fact that firstly, people think that that the four virtues is something out there. For example, I often hear, I need a challenge to be virtuous. And I'm like, if you believe that, that's great, you're an Aristotelian. <laughs> it's something external to you that you need. right? So the Aristotelian said that virtue was like the highest good, but not the only good. So it was the, what to aim for, it was the highest thing, it was the thing that was most worthy, but at the same time, you also needed to be, from Aris, not not contemporary Aristotelians, but really ancient Aristotle, Aristotelian thought, male, <laughs> Athenian, wealthy enough to be able to dedicate your time to pursue. Philosophical thinking, I guess, because if you were a manual worker, they felt that you wouldn't be able to dedicate sufficient time to that. The strikes were very, very different. They said it is the only good. Everything else that is external, so it's only good. Everything has an external. So the only good is internal. It's literally trying to become the round, he- the round peg in the round hole that is stoicism it's taking that granite block some people have clay but <laughs> because they're soft it's easier for them to mold and some of us have the granite and so i would say i was in the middle I wouldn't say i was clay nor granite i'm not the toughest person like to no i'm really stubborn I'm, I'm not you know and they say how can i craft this block whatever block it is into something that is aligned with nature how can i do that what what kind of character do I have to build? And they'd say one that acts appropriately, to act appropriately. What does appropriate look like? Well, it looks like courage, right? Because you, as, you know, Stoics would say that in order for something to exist, you need to be able to point at it. It's not something that you just think about in your head. It is literally, I can point and say, Joshua, that appeared to be a courageous thing. And that, is a, that I'm going to take from you as a role model. That's what I want to do. So I look at something you've done. That doesn't mean, for example, Stoics cannot learn from something terrible that you do, (laughs) something vicious that you do, because Stoics will say, whatever we are given, whatever we are given, you know, what we might call good or bad is actually not good or bad because it's something we're given rather than cultivate. But it's something we can use. So even if you give me a terrible example of being a parent, right? Whatever terrible means to somebody, I can use that. To cultivate good character, I can say, I will never do what Joshua did last Thursday. And you can say to yourself, this is why Seneca, you know, they say, you know, look, look through the day and think about it. Say, oh, that was not very good parenting, whatever good parenting looks like, or, or beneficial parenting. If you don't use the word good, you've been stoic about it. I, what can I do to change that? So Seneca said that virtue is the only good. And how that's quite a claim. That is what I've been saying in uh, contemporary Stoic circles is that although there's an argument of whether there's a you know you need the Stoic God or not, this is still a religious claim to claim that something is the only good. On what basis do you do that, right? Because the Aristotelian said no, it's not the only good; it's the highest good. But you know, if you're Stoic, you're making a massive claim. It's an axiomatic principle meaning that it's the basis upon which everything else stands there's only one real thing that makes you stoic and it's that because how that makes how you make it manifest in your life will diff will differ but if you and i are to call ourselves stoics the one thing that we have to agree on is that virtue is the only good this is a religious claim because there is no evidence Joshua. there's no evidence that i can give you to prove that virtue is the only good. Now, I can use Stoic theory and framing and show you why the Stoics believe that to be the case. However, I then have to prove to you that Stoicism is the right, quote-unquote, philosophy. And I think this is a wonderful thing because a lot of people who have religious inclinations or spiritual ones are often told at the moment that Stoicism has nothing to offer them because it's a reasoned, a reasoned philosophy. It's like, yes, but that reason is based on the idea that the round head peg in that round hole is something, is, is a person that is completely aligned with nature. Completely at one with God. With, with divine, the divine reason. Not this scientific reason or what we call scientific reason. It's divine. So th- that's that's a very strong claim. Why, why did they claim that? What does Zeno say when people said, well, I don't agree with you, for example. If they might have said to him, I don't believe... That 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 the divinity that you talk of is the divinity. I believe the divinity needs to have, you know, let's say blood sacrifice, right? Zeno will say, "Okay, that's fine." Then I have nothing to teach you, because that is not the Stoic God. Zeno was not one for going, "Come on, I am going to bend you, bend your arm around your back, and you are going to believe what I say." He literally said, "Like if you don't believe that virtue is the only good, because it's the one thing that can guarantee you." A life of happiness and flourishing. Then I have nothing to teach you. So why did he say that that one thing was to guarantee happiness and flourishing? Because it depends only on you. It does not depend, as Epictetus says, on the poor you know the cor- the corner of the earth that you re- your poor body was flung upon. It literally depends on how you think, how you act, and your attitude. So, for example, people say, "Well, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth." Okay. So life is not gonna be as pleasant. Stoics didn't deny that, but it is not going to prevent you from flourishing. For example, you may have a disability, a physical disability, and so say, I can't use my legs. Okay, your life is not going to be easy, but it's not going to prevent you from flourishing. So that that's the whole basis of the claim. It is a theo- it is based, it is couched in, in, in spiritual or at least theological, although not necessarily theological from abrahamic perspective but theological language because the minute you talk about divine reason the minute you talk about the fact that we all have a piece of god in us and for example for the Stoics, the soul is physical it's not immaterial because they say that that's a part of being the, literally the physical shape the thickness of your soul tells you how closely you are aligned to god you'll never know that because if you're going, I'm, I'm a sage, I'm a sage, I'm a sage. You, you're not a sage, right? By definition, because you don't see that need to do that. Because to claim that you're a virtuous is not virtuous at all. So other people would say, in that particular aspect, Kai is really good. For example, Kai might be really generous. Not that generosity is a stoic virtue, but you can say Kai is really generous. I want to, I want to, you know, act like him in that aspect. You might as well say, you know, Kai can be a really angry. Englishman, So I'm not going to like model my behavior on that, but I'm going to learn from Kai how not to do something. And that again is aligning yourself with reason because you're looking at something, you're looking at something that you think I'm doing is reasonable and you're looking at something that I'm doing that you think is unreasonable and you're going, okay, how do I, how do I work that through? And you can do that from a straight perspective from the age of about 14. There was arguments, some said it was younger, but generally from 14 years old, you're able to recognize what is an appropriate action and what is an appropriate action according to where you are on the planet, what you're doing, what your role is. So you and I can have the same problem and we can look at it from a different perspective. The only perspective we share might, should be, definitely shared, that we want to be reasonable because we're rooted in the logos, we're rooted in the divine. But how you approach that problem and how I approach it from a straight perspective can be completely different because we have a different role. Because we are different people and as long as we are rooted in the logos, or we want to be, then we should, come, we should converge in, on the one point that what we do is reasonable. Even if we do the opposite, we could do the opposite action because for example you say I'm, you know, I'm a soldier for one team and I'm a soldier for another team. To do what is reasonable means that we might clash it might mean that we have a peace movement it might mean that you do the opposite to what i've just done but based on who you are what your responsibilities are and what you're aware of right it doesn't mean that the consequence the consequences are not linked by the way to whether your decision is right because it's beyond your control you can only control your actions your thoughts your attitudes and the consequences aren't involved in that and then you can say okay what i did was reasonable and basically what should happen from a stoic perspective is regardless of the consequences from a moral perspective, you and I should be able to say in front of a court why we did that and why it was reasonable. And then the court would say, yes, okay, and the consequences were such, and therefore let's choose this decision. And again, their decision, if they are reasonable, regardless if if I go to, let's say I go to, I was court-martialed, let's say, um, as a stoic, I should be able to say, but I can see why that's reasonable. I don't like it. Right. Because it's not good. You know, I don't think if I don't like it because I would prefer this, but it's a preferred indifferent. But ultimately, if that's what nature has given me, then I should be happy because to be unhappy means what? I am again, I am not in control of my pursuit to flourishing. So even if I quote unquote dislike, I would prefer the work would be I would prefer a different outcome. You know, on some aspects in reality, when I look at it deep down go well actually that was what nature gave me that's what God gave me so I should be at least sufficiently happy enough to be able to work, through, work with that that doesn't mean overjoyed that doesn't mean ecstatic but to be able to say okay I'm court marshalled what does that mean for me what do I do now I don't know Joshua that was a really long uh, answer but I don't know if you've got any further questions or I've done what i, I've, I hope that I, I've done to explain
0: yeah, I, I do. I've got a few follow-up questions just to e- explore the topic a, a bit more because obviously there, like you say, there's a lot there. Um, the first is around there's this book, How to Live a Good Life, that has you know 15 different philosophies of, of life, stoicism being one of them. Some um, you know religious or spiritual philosophies of life. Do you see this idea of, back to that initial question, how do we know virtue is the only good? That there is a certain requirement for whether you call it faith, belief, or trust that this particular chosen path, you know, is going to lead you where you want to be, improve your life, et cetera. Um, you know, is that how you would you see that a requirement for some sort of faith or synonym to that is a requirement for whichever philosophy of life you decide to embark?
1: On a certain aspect, yes, you have to believe that if you're control, if you're in control of your flourishing, that you can achieve it. Mm. Because the opposite is, I'm not in control. Therefore, it depends on other things. That's why, for example. Uh, being a Stoic and being a Marxist, for example, might be quite difficult because you're saying that, well, my lot lot in life is completely dependent on, or predominantly dependent on structures that are above me. Now, The Stoics are not blind to the fact that there are structures and go, yes, that makes your life more difficult, right? More challenging. However, it doesn't prevent you from living an ideal life for a human being, one that is about flourishing so yeah you the opposite is if you said okay I don't believe I don't believe that a human can flourish without having loads of money right Listen, and there's people that believe that evidently that's why they chase money I'll they wouldn't chase it right if they're being what we might call reasonable on some level at least you know logical in their in their way of thinking it doesn't mean their thinking is correct from a stoic logical perspective but yeah you have to say okay if you believe you need money if you believe that that's what is g- going to make you happy then stoicism isn't for you because Stoics are clear in that money is, is just another thing that you how you use it or how you manage without it will depend will shape your character. So if somebody says to me, I don't believe, and I've heard this before, I, you know colleagues of mine uh, in in academia that are not philosophers, but I don't believe that uh, Stoicism is correct because if you're really you know having a miserable life. In, you know, economically, then you will never, you know, have a nice life. Well, your understanding of miserable is different then, because their view of miserable is that you are, you are wretched because you have, you have made your character so, and it's not because you had po- you were born into poverty, you were born into wealth, you had wealth, you lost it, and so on. It has does it not depend on that. So, if somebody says to me, "Why well, I don't believe you?" Okay, that's up to them. If they if they live their life and they do what they you know they think is is, is appropriate for them. out of my control right we're not called as stoics to necessarily go and evangelize we are called to say okay like you say that you want to live a stoic life and you say that you you don't believe the stoic god has any bearing on stoicism but however if you look at the ethical framework it is evidently dependent on the belief in the stoic god a a stoic god that is is not supernatural there is no heaven or hell But a story God that is divine reason that explains why the you know the universe exists and continues to exist. Now you can say that you don't believe that, but that's not stoicism. In the same way, if you tell me, I love Christianity, I love going to church, I love the Pope, I love you know I love the statues of Mary, for example, but I don't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Be like, well, your culturally your heritage may be Catholic, but I can't really say that you are Catholic from any standard that the Catholics themselves apply. Because one, the key key aspects is to, what well, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And I'm not saying that if you're an atheist and you, and you identify as a stoic, that doesn't make you stoic, right? That's not for me to decide. That's for you to decide. It's your identity. It's the label you're placing. All I'm saying is you've got cognitive dissonance because the 300 times that God is mentioned by the stoics, you're going to have to shut your eyes and shut your ears and shut your mouth and... And glide over the word and, and do it three hundred times and go, There's no God in Stoicism. There is it is not needed in Stoicism. None of the Stoics said that. The own the major argument that we have today is whether we need to study God. The equivalent argument historically was should we have private or public goods? So the one that they really disagreed on was private versus public goods, because Zeno, Zeno's utopia and then like people like Seneca. Right? I don't really need to explain too much you know the wealth Versus, you know, Zeno's like nobody, no sage has more than they need. It's all collective ownership. That was, that was the argument of the day. There was never an argument of does God exist or not. In the same way that we go back in the US, in particularly rural towns of the US, you know, go back 50 years. Is there a God? Yes. To say that there's no God fifty years ago in the rural, rural America was like what? <laughs> what do you mean there's no God? Like you may you may be you may think it's the Catholic God, you might think it's the you know the, the Evangelical God or the, the Protestant God. So Evangelical wasn't really a movement at that moment, or it might be the Mormon God. But there's definitely a God, right? <laughs> I, I the Stoics were clear in that. So to say, for example, our modern Stoicism, we don't need to stay God. I'm like. Well, then why? How do you. So you're not happy with the claim that there's a God, but you're happy with the claim that virtue is the only good? The whole claim is based on there is a God. If you remove that, then your claim is just as empty as any other claim that a religious person is going to make. And that doesn't make people very, very comfortable because a lot of people, as you know yourself, Joshua, they leave their religious heritage whether it was just cultural or whether it was really you know a very strong belief in god and they find stoicism often and they're like so like i don't like god i feel really you know i i feel that was a childish belief or someone treated me very badly and there's many reasons and then when you say well actually the whole virtue ethics framing for stoics is based on the god because virtue ethics per se isn't stoicism because what you have if you remove the stoic god is just virtue ethics and there's a whole, I mean, there's loads, there's loads of Greek schools with it. There's loads of modern um, um, philosophical frameworks, I would say schools that have virtue ethics. I'm like, well, then you like virtue ethics, mm. right? Great. You think that, that the virtue is something important and that the appropriate action is something that is contextual, Right that it depends on where you are, what you're doing, unless you're going to have a Kantian view and then you'll say that, you know, lies are always bad and things like that. You know, you can go there. But it's not a stoic one. So what you have is a modern modern virtue ethics framework that is very attached to some self-help concepts, but is not rooted in stoicism, yet you want to call it stoicism. So it's not that I want to attack that, it's just no scholar, no scholar that I know of, dead or alive, that had peer-reviewed paper papers about stoicism has ever claimed that the best thing to do or the most appropriate thing to do and still call it stoicism is to remove that remove God because they're like Tony Long A. A. Long who's the probably one of the greatest scholars we've had for stoicism says it is parasitical the entire ethical framework is parasitical on theology I don't go that far because the word parasitical to me has strong connotations but I would say it's it's really if it's not foundational it's interdependent I'm not sure quite because I haven't I'm no. I'm thinking. I don't know. I'll withdraw my ascent to an impression right now. I'll sit there and think about it more. But certainly, to remove it, we don't have Stoicism anymore, Joshua. In the same way, if we remove Jesus Christ, we might have Judaism, but we we don't have Christianity, and we don't even have Islam because Isa, Jesus, is a is a prophet. He's the Messiah, and he's the he's the figure that comes back at the end of time. So you don't even have Islam, for example. Does that make sense, Joshua? It does. Let me ask
0: I guess to touch on stoicism in their view of God. It seems I, I've heard it said that they were um what might be called pantheists. Is God is 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 that a God is is everything. And I guess part two to that, it seems very similar to what a lot of the saints and mystics maybe kind of have that view. I've heard even a um, an author that I like, Richard Rohr, talks about pan God in all things. And I don't put a ton of thought into a lot of this uh, type of stuff, but I'm curious, could you maybe speak more of, of what they thought about God in relation to maybe how we think today?
1: Of course. So, yes, for, for the Stoics, they said that God was, God was like, was an animal, was a, you know, living thing. Why? Because everybody, everybody's connected. Everybody has that piece of God in them. And that, and whilst we are living, we are living, you know, God is not dead from a Stoic perspective. They said that God was like, a, God was an animal, a breathing animal, a, a, you know, a mind, a body. The body was the expansion of the universe, and no more, so God does not exist outside of the universe there, there is no heaven in the sense that God is sitting in, on a throne of some description and looking down upon his creation. God is creation mm. there is not so there's everything that can be known it is God I and mean, there's no unknowable right the stoics, because the strikes are like if you know the mind of God then you then you are getting close to what can be known on a certain aspect. no human being can know everything right you know. We can't, you know, the sage, isn't, the sage, the ideal stoic, is not all-knowing. The, the thing that separates them is they're incapable of making a moral mistake because their character is that round peg again in the round hole that's so in tune with the universe. So it, there is an aspect of pantheism, right? But most pantheistic beliefs, at least in the contemporary sense, seem to think things like that are biocentric, that no human being is more valued than anybody, any other animal whatsoever. And there's no way that there is any separation between them. And there's also a view in pantheism in the contemporary environmental movement that we need to think more like a tree. We need to be more empathetic towards, you know, other animals. The Stoics say the only thing that makes the difference between a human and a non-human animal is the ability uh, to reason to the level that we do. Because the logos is even contained in in a rock. It's basically the the rock does what is appropriate to a rock and a plant will do what is appropriate to a plant. So the Stoics will talk about things like a plant will only bloom when it is, when it is able to do so. It follows divine, the divine reason in the sense that it won't produce a flower if it can't sustain its leaves. So even like a plant, the Stoics recognize that has some element of reason, but the strongest sense, the most sort of connection to God is something that, that human only humans possess the ability to communicate to create a dialogue and create you know you and I can then come together and say what is reasonable which two plants as far as we're aware cannot do so the aspect of pantheism is that but yes there's no supernatural the extension of the universe is the mass the, the most expanse that the God can have the mind of God is the logos and it's the logos that we're all connected to so you are connected to the logos I'm connected to the logos it is a living breathing thing um, there is prayer, so there is like Liam prayer, like you know, let, you know, allow me. Basically, the serenity prayer, like allow me to accept what I can change, and and then when I can't change something, then to not be bogged down by it, it doesn't mean like, I don't care about it. So it's not about being indifferent in that I don't care, but just going, I can't change it right now, so I need to be comfortable with that idea because the alternative is what. The alternative is just unnecessarily. Suffering, and then I, in I can't achieve new dominion because I'm quote unquote suffering. So there is a pantheistic aspect, but there is there is a sense of what I can, you know, speak to the divine. There's not necessarily the response like you'd get from the Abrahamic God, and there's no sort of. Pers- I mean, I could personify God for, if it helps me focus on what the appropriate action to do. But personification per se is not a necessary thing for this for this act. At the same time, it's not a there's no religious aspect in the sense that you and I must do the same thing. So we must both go to church, let's say on a Sunday, or we must both pray five times a day, and we pray if we're in the same geographical location, we should must pray at a specific time or within a specific frame of time. The Stoics don't have that. They just say. The only core tenant, because people go, Stoics don't have tenants, they do. That virtue is the only good. And, that, you know, linked to that is that I would know what should, how that is made manifest in my own life based on who I am and my role. So how you and I get to get to Eudaimonia is different. The paths are different, but the destination is the same. But it's like, well, you're here, so you're going to have to take this path. You're going to have to go left, right, left, right, left, 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 left. And I'm going to go right, 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 because I'm standing in a different place. Whereas in, in, in a sort of more collective religious aspect, it's like, no, we all go on Sunday, we all say the Lord's Prayer. If we're Catholic, we say it a certain way. If we're Protestant, we say it in a different way. And that's what's different. That's what helps us get to God. No, it's it like what helps you really understand God is to be out and about in nature, speaking to people, helping your community, think, you know, thinking of yourself in the sense that my body literally is a first person. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the community. Right, the cosmopolites, the reasoned communities. It doesn't mean it belongs to the person who's being irrational and wants me to do something I'm not. You know, I don't want to do. But it's a, okay. It's not just mine. In the same way, the bee works for the beehive, and what what it cannot be good for the bee cannot be good for the beehive, and what can be good for the bee are going to be good for the bee. And this is Meditations fifty one. So this is this is why the whole aspect comes in. So there is an aspect of religion, I would say, depending on how you define religion. But not, I can't see it in the collective sense. That doesn't mean that you and I can't come together, Joshua, and read meditations together. That's nice, right? So that would be really nice. That encourages you. But it is not necessary. Yeah. it is not. You know, There's nothing sufficient about that which would allow you to flourish. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Let me ask one more question on this um, initial first point. How do we know virtue is the only good a question around faith not from a religious standpoint but just say maybe the opposite of faith being certainty we can't be completely certain that virtue is the only good as you mentioned the you know what is knowable it's not we we can maybe get to a certain degree of of faith that yes, I believe that virtue is the only good and choose to to live our lives in that manner. But wouldn't you say that isn't something that we can be certain of
1: I don't think we can be a hundred percent certain, no. I mean I can look again, I can look at people and say that person seems happier because and, and draw you know from there right because you don't have to be stoic to achieve eudaimonia right to achieve the flourishing life because socrates yeah. wasn't the stoic so it's not true that you have to be stoic in order to achieve what the stoics call the flourishing life or you know the ideal happiness right because socrates wasn't the stoic he came before them but there is an element of yes i cannot prove to you there's nothing I can say or do. I, can't, I can show you certain things that happen to be true by observation. Yes, and that's been true in, in the scientific sense as well. I can say this is a glass, for example, based on signifiers and what we both agreed that a glass is. But I can't prove to you anyway that this is an actual glass. I can just point to why I think it is the case. And I would say Stoicism is the same. I can point to you, to say, this is why I think that the Stoics are correct. Because the alternative is that you require a lot of things to go right, quote unquote, in your life. You rely on other people, you rely on, you know, your government, you rely on other people's government, even more dangerous. <laughs> you you rely on your friends and your family, and they're going to let you down. In, in stoicism, you're probably going to let yourself down, but you are actually in control of that, and that's the that's like the paradox. Like people say, okay, what is courage? From the stoke perspective, it's the it's the ability to know what is something to be feared and not feared, right? And the only thing in the, in the sense that we should fear on some aspect is the inability to achieve eudaimonia because that's the only thing worth fearing. The, I, the paradox is the only thing in your control is to achieve, your, you know, what you do to achieve eudaimonia. So if you say, well, oh, I'm too frightened because I, I'm frightened that I can't achieve eudaimonia, it's like, that's the only thing you can achieve. <laughs> like you might not be able to be successful, You might not be able to have loads of money. You may not have kids because you know you unfortunately you're infertile, or because you know other reasons. You may be off to war for ten years. You come back and you no longer want them, but you would have wanted them hadn't gone to war. Those things are outside your control. So there's no point having, you know, no point fearing something you can't change because that would make you again it makes you miserable because you can't change it, and therefore you actually it's that self-impotency. I fear that I can't change it, but I'm going to live in fear of it. Well you can't change it, so you're gonna live miserably. So the only thing that you should fear is something that paradoxically you can't fear because it's the only thing you control. And that's what the stakes really excel. that is they love it, as you were saying earlier, they uh, before we came on air, they love paradoxes. They absolutely love it. If someone said to me, you know, I you know, I don't agree with you, I, I don't believe you, fine. It's not your what you think and what you your attitude is is up to you. The only thing that's up to me is how I respond to that. So if I then go and get the biggest, you know a long book and hit you around the head with it it's not a very it st- doesn't say anything good about my character because then i'm saying i feel the need for you to be stoked for me to feel that i'm happy in this present moment the sage would say no you you pick up you know do apostle apostle paul you pick up your sandals you wipe the dust from them you carry on um and, that, and that's stoicism and yeah of course it, people want certainty in life they're like no i left the church because i or i left the mosque or i left the temple because i wanted more certainty Well, that's not in your control, right? Because nobody else, if you think certainty requires, again, that everybody else gives you the answers. Uh, It's also why we wrote, for example, about uh, being triggered. The problem with being worried about being triggered is that then you, again, you're dependent on other people making you happy or the removal of other people making you happy. And therefore, you will never, ever achieve a, a moment of contentment and flourishing as the Stoics understood it.
0: I, I would love to spend a bit of time and talk about paradox and polarity. Polarity being this idea of inhale and exhale, both both being needed. And back to that first question, how do we know virtue is the only good? And maybe many similar questions to that. It seems like there's another polarity there of skepticism and openness, you know, it's somewhere like both are both are needed um, in so many, and I, I wish it was talked about more in in Stoicism. If we think of so many of these Stoic practices being a, a paradox or a a polarity, like memento mori, you know, the Stoic probably is not constantly all throughout the day just meditating on mortality. That's probably not gonna lead you where you want to be, but it's you know you're you're touching on it. Just like if you only focused on inhaling, that's that's gonna kill you. Um, but I would love for you to to speak a bit about you know paradox in in stoicism that you think might be helpful.
1: Well I can certainly say the the middle ground you know the balance is 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 balanced, right? Stoicism is about finding balance it is not and we, I think we made this quite clear in being bad, saying for example I'm you know I'm vegan and therefore or I'm vegetarian and therefore I will never under any circumstances ever in my life ever do that it's like but that doesn't make any sense because there may be a situation where that is the the only thing that will keep you alive now that is a different question should I keep myself alive that's an entirely different question but assuming that you do want to keep yourself alive, well, then you have to, come to the, you have to come to the decision, okay, how much meat do I have to eat in order to stay alive? So somebody um, criticized, criticized me for saying that I only eat meat at my parents' house if my mum cooks it on a Sunday. And they said, well, then you're contributing to, to animal suffering. I said, well, if I don't eat meat on a Sunday and my family then have a vegetarian meal on a Tuesday, aren't I reducing quote unquote animal suffering because less animals have suffered? See, this is the danger when you start to be um, other than on virtue, I must do what is virtue. Then you say virtue means being vegetarian or virtue means something external again to my character because being vegetarian is not about my character. It's about the fact that I don't eat something Else, for a specific, you know, for a specific reason, and it's the reason that tells you about my character, not that I abstain from meat or not. And so, a lot of people want certainty, Joshua. They want me to say that a good stoic, quote unquote, will do this, this, and this in any given circumstances. But if I tell them to do that, I'm acting unstoically, because, as we make clear in chapter one, if I try to put myself in your shoes, my feet don't fit your shoes. And what I'm really doing is I'm putting myself in what I think might be your position rather than asking you what your position is, which is why, again, the this, this Stoics will use, well, Socrates himself used, the dialogue, this, what we can now call the Socratic dialogue. But why, Joshua, why do you think that? Like, you've kept going back, you've gone back, you're digging deep, going, but why, why is virtue the only good? Why is virtue the only good? And you've gone back, and that's exactly what the Stoics would do. Okay, I get this little bit, but you're still not answering this core bit. Because it's about questioning. It's about a Q- literally a Q and A, in the sense that. But you actually want it, you actually do want a specific answer. Not that you want it to be the answer that you would like, but you would like you know you want to approach what you believe to be true. So the the thing that a lot of things I find quite ironic is that a lot of people come to. Um, contemporary stoic you know facebook groups and they want me to say that a stoic would definitely do a, a stoic would definitely do b and a stoic would definitely do c and a stoic would definitely do d oh by the way but i don't like god because i don't like being told what to do i'm like <laughs> but you're just substituting like one for the other it doesn't make any sense what the stoics are called what you're called to do as a stoic is to reason is to find like what is the middle ground and to ask yourself key questions yes you can ask me but you also as a stoic should recognize that i'm giving advice and that advice may not be helpful It may be, but you can still use it and go, actually, I can understand. You might say, I understand Kai better as a human being now, but his advice sucks from my point of view in terms of what I'm trying to achieve. But I understand Kai better. I understand what makes him tick and why he would give me that advice. So then again, the strikes would say that even a bad, you know, what we might call a, you know unfortunate conversation with me you can turn that into something that is useful and that builds your character you don't have to be like i must follow kai's advice because if i don't know i upset him then you're fearing fearing me being upset and again the Stoics would say but then you're not following the advice because it is reasonable you're following the advice because you don't upset kai why is kai important so again it goes back to a lot of people come and i find the irony just kills me it just it's so it's it's almost bordering on hilarious because it's like you're doing no different, you just feel that it's more advanced because you've removed one aspect, even though you're still using a religious claim to say that virtue is the only good or the claim that, oh, Kai must know because he is a Stoic scholar, so therefore he must know about what I don't well, maybe, it is more likely that I know, doesn't mean that I do know, and again, it's for a reason to tell you whether my, my advice is correct or not, I don't know if Joshua if that gave you the kind of uh answer to what the kind of question you were asking me.
0: It does. I I love it. It reminds me of this um response in a program that I went through was uh it depends. And that that response of it depends can be uh a very frustrating kind of uh response for for some, but it's uh but it's an accurate one. I wanted to get your thoughts on maybe just the dichotomy of of control. This aspect which connects with virtue as you said in the beginning it's that is what is up to us that is within our control and maybe even that particular thing which i i guess i would say is central to stoicism you would know more than more than i but can be misunderstood this this idea of of focusing on You, but it's a bit of a paradox to me as well. Like it connects with, um, there's a a St. Francis prayer that I'm going to paraphrase maybe not so well, but it's something along the lines of the second half is, you know, it's not to be loved, but to love, not to to be pardoned, but to pardon. You know, it makes that switch to what is within your control, but doesn't it in turn also... Change the world, you know, by focusing on ourselves, by being more virtuous, create these ripples that paradoxically can can change the world. And what do you think there?
1: I I think well I I I like I think the dichotomy control isn't as central as people say it. The thing that's central is that okay. virtue is the only good, <laughs> okay. and. In order to act virtuously, I must be aware, right? What I can control, because that's the only thing I can do to act virtuously. It, it yeah. kind of is it, it's be, it's because the virtue is the only good and, and virtue is internal. It's a character. It's a shape of character, literally. Like it is what your character looks like. Therefore, it makes sense as a practice, not as a core stoic theory to say, okay, if the only thing that makes me flourish is my character, what can I do to shape that character or it's the way you think it's the way you act it's your attitude okay so then i must know what's in my control in order to to act you know to do that appropriately exactly it it, it follows on but i don't think it is particularly core because i don't think the dichotomy of control is a particularly stoic concept Like to work out and it is literally hepatitis discourses 1.1 it's literally 101 you walk in the door and go right the first thing you need to know is some things are in your control and some things are not can you, you know, and reason will tell you which one is which, one is which. it's not a, the Stoics didn't spend loads and loads of time talking about it because it seems so well not obvious but so, you know it was key but it was simple there's much more difficult Stoic concepts to understand like you're okay, going Stoicism is really complex it is if you think that the dichotomy of control is the core principle the core mm-hmm. principle is that virtue is the only good and what is virtuous will depend on who you are and your role so I really like for example in Spanish you say no me corresponde which means it doesn't correspond to me. So it's not only about power, because you have the power as a human being to do a lot of things. But for example, just because you have the power to take somebody else's kid to school doesn't mean you should do that without the parents' permission. You say, okay, if it's my kid, I definitely need to do that. If I want to take the neighbor's kid to school, what corresponds to me first is I must go to the neighbor and say, by the way, I really think that I can be helpful. I've got a I've you know, I've got a four by four not good for the environment, but I know that your kid's getting a pass and it's really hard. I've got an extra seat. I've got a booster seat even. You want to sit there? So then, and then you take the kid to school, right? It's not that the dog can't control like, okay, what's in my control? What's not in my control? That's the key thing. The key thing is the virtue. Then in order to work out, in order to cultivate that character or to at least prevent yourself from destroying it unnecessarily, is to go, what do I need to focus on? And what, do I need to not forget? But at least, okay, put it in my mind. Okay, I don't like the fact that my neighbor didn't like my response to, do you want me to take the kids? No, I prefer them at the bus. But hey, that's up to them. And I'm not going to be drawn into an argument because it's not necessary. And if I feel the need to argue to prove a point, again, it tells them about my character. So I use the example of people have said in contemporary circles, I can insult Joshua and how Joshua responds, that's up to him. And it's his problem because he should realize that it's not in his control to be insulted. I'm like, yes, it does say something about his character, the way he responds to me insulting him. But it says a lot more about my character if I choose to insult him. Because that is definitely in my control. Mm-hmm. So the, the irony there is that although people focus on the person being insulted, it is the person who is insulting, right? And insult, I don't mean correcting because that's not what an insult is. They're actually damaging their character. And Twitter, Twitter feeds are not focusing on that. You're, like, you're focusing on, oh, he got really upset. He was a snowflake. And you may well be a snowflake. Joshua. I don't know. You might be. I don't think, I mean, knowing what I know about you, it's unlikely. But you may have an off moment and you may melt because I say an insult to you. I go, look at you. You're not being stoic. You've melted in the sun. <laughs> you go, yeah, but you know what? You're really not being stoic because you're insulting me. And you think that the onus is on me to respond correctly, even though my, that's my onus and your onus is to not insult me in the first place. And again, that's really funny because it's like we spend a lot of time talking about the, you know, the snowflake rather than the person that is saying these things. And the, the truth is, it's both you and I. So I should, I have an obligation to correct you if that's needed, not necessarily in public. To know how to do it and not be drawn into insults, which again says about my character. And you are thinking, is he insulting me or is he correcting me? And even if he corrected me in an inappropriate manner. And I'm not entirely pleased. Is there not a way that I can highlight this to Kai so this no longer continues to happen? And if you've done that, even though you, you know, you're pretty you know, frustrated with me, if I continue to do so, what does it say about my character? Again, it says a lot more about my character than it does about you. And that's, why, again, why I love the Stoics and why I think the contemporary Stoic movement needs to really think about why is the Dachaube of Control an important mechanism but not really an important theory because it, it it comes from what I've just said. It comes from yeah. again knowing your role. Cicero talks about taking from Perinetus. Okay, who? What's my role? What do I do? What does it look like from my perspective? And then the dichotomy the, the control is like okay, that's the mechanism I'm going to use. In the same way, the Socr- Socratic method is the is the is the method you're going to use to work out. What's in my control? You can discuss that with me and I could say, well, this, 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 that, and the other. But I don't think it's a core Stoic... I I, I beg to differ. I don't think it's a core Stoic theory. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's, yeah. the, the Stoics never said that it was a core Stoic theory. It's literally like a couple of paragraphs compared to like they devote a lot of time to what is the nature of virtue, why the Epicureans are, are not correct <laughs> about what flourishing means. And they focus a lot more on that. So I tend to go... To comp- I know we've lost a lot of... Um, with but for example Seneca wrote a whole book on on providence he never wrote a whole book on which on dichotomy of control contemporary Stoics tend to focus on the, the, the dichotomy of control but Seneca never felt the need to do that and in any of his letters it's not a massive
0: it's not yeah.
1: it's almost like of course you already know that so why would I spend a lot of time writing a letter about it
0: great point and that's a that's a great way to wrap up our our time flew flew by here again Kai uh, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about what you're up to.
1: Uh, at Kai Whiting on Twitter, on Um And I would say if any of your audience has uh, bought a copy, a copy of Being Better or borrowed one from the library, if they have a photograph to, to suggest that is the case, or they have a receipt and they've removed the you know what is necessary to remove so that I don't know anything else unnecessarily, I'm actually offering uh, this month a little like, paper and a hat to say, okay, if you if you did buy a copy and you can, or you borrowed a copy, show me, you know, show me a photograph of you standing there or doing something like that, or see receipt, and I will put you into a hack to have an hour of ask me anything. And it can be even like, you know, I'm having a problem with my, you know, my kid or my dog or whatever. Well, how would a stoic approach that? Because being better is more like. How would I approach that from a stoic angle? I think that's why I'm trying to what well, you've been pushing me to okay how do I approach the mm-hmm. virtue is the only good what do I really think as a stoic if that's the case? If that's what you've been pushing, which is great because' that's, that's exactly what the stoics did like really doubling down and crystallizing. So I'm actually offering that so I don't know when the the uh, episodes coming out, but if you do for, you send me via email a photo or some receipt to show that you borrowed or borrowed or bought being better then yes, I'll put your name into a hat and hope, you know, if you win, you get an hour with me to ask me literally anything about stories. So that would be, that would be helpful.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. And I highly recommend everybody pick up the book if you, if you haven't already, it is absolutely great. I was in a books a million the other day and I was happy to see it on the, on the shelf there. Um, but yeah, it's a great read. And are you able to share anything about, um, you know what you're working on, and maybe uh, the next book coming out.
1: Yeah, so the next book we do actually talk about um, what is the nature of an error, and why do the Stoics believe there's an equality of errors? So, like the sense of why is why is no one error worse than any other? Though obviously cumulative errors to say a lot more about your character than making one mistake. But I think we'll save that to to part two. So they, we are working on book two, but let's talk about that in part two of the podcast uh, at some point. You let me know in the next coming days or weeks, and we'll talk about that more because I know that was a subject you wanted to get onto, and we can do that. That takes some time to unpack, and we can unpack it uh, later in the week or whenever else you want to, inv- or your audience wants to invite me on. But yes, we are talking about the the nature of much more about the nature of character, uh, why the Stoic God is, is is a key concept in that. So it's it's a much more deeper. A deeper book in that sense, but it's also different in the sense of that. Being better was about mainly about okay, if I'm walking around the world, what do I do as a stoic in any given situation? Well, how do I think about it? Right, I can't tell you the answer, but how do I think about it? this one? Is like how do I how do I maintain the how do I see myself, and how do I see my friends and family, and how do I maintain a you know a, a relationship with them that reflects that I'm a stoic? So it's much more about again. What does that mean to be a Stoic in terms of community? Because I don't feel that in the self-help space that that uh, in philosophy, particularly Stoic philosophy, that that is something that is identified. But a lot of our issues in life are based on the fact that we have poor relationships with each other. And so I was like, well, yeah, you can become like a really successful person at work. How do you have a good relationship with the people that work with you from a philosophical angle and not a social networking angle, for example? That's what we're trying to do with the second book. But I'm happy to talk to you more about that in a a close, you know, a soon part two. Awesome. Well, thank you so
0: much, Kai. I really appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you for listening. I hope you found something useful. If you're interested in learning more every Monday we share a short reflection with three timeless ideas to help you start your week with wisdom. You can subscribe at perennialleader.com. Until next time, be wise and be well.